You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 176. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. Uh, Really fun interview today. But first of all, let me just follow up on the predictions panel that we did last week. Uh, A lot of great feedback from all of the predictions we did, but I do want to do some kind of follow-up in the future because there were actually a lot of past predictions, predictions that we made from five years ago to today that I feel like I need to dive into more uh, because there's a lot of lessons to be learned from it, uh, particularly on crypto, on the behavior of, uh, of big tech, uh, things that we said five years ago that, that did happen. So I'd like to talk about that. Currently, I'm having kind of a big travel weekend. Uh, I was just in Long Island for a family event. A lot of fun. It was great to be going back to family events and things like that. And then I'm going back into New York City today uh, for, for, for work, for Foursquare work. So that's going to be that's going to be great as well. And then finally, I'm going to return to New Hampshire uh, in the middle of this week. So uh, our guest today, Gene Epstein, he is a a resident of New York City, but I actually interviewed him in New Hampshire when he was up visiting um, in in New Hampshire. He's a really fun person to talk to. He is a longtime economics editor at Barron's Magazine. But, uh, you know, the reason that that I know him is that for the last few years, he's run a debate series called the Soho Forum, which has a lot of interesting, and of course, as the name suggests, it most of the time happens in Soho, but you know now it, it happens all over the place. And uh, he has a penchant for arguing uh, uh, <laughs> capitalism versus socialism. He's done three debates where he represents the pro-capitalism side. And as many of you know who listen to this, I like capitalism a lot. I'm a big, uh, I'm a big, big pro-capitalism guy. So uh, I, I, those debates are fun to listen to, and uh, it was, uh, it was great to have him on. He's also been in a lot of podcasts before, and is uh, not new to the podcast circuit. So uh, I, I knew it was going to be a really fascinating, fun discussion, and it certainly was because we got a lot of kind of behind-the-scenes stuff in terms of you know what happens if you know what happens if everyone follows the doesn't follow the rules of the debate, and uh, what is the the issues that have come up and what are some of the interesting things that because they don't just debate capitalism versus socialism they have all sorts of interesting you know kind of topics so anyway without further ado let's welcome our guest today gene epstein you've reached the local maximum welcome to the show uh, thank you so much max and uh i'm certainly in a great mood uh my wife and i drove up to uh the free state we're staying in dover um thursday and uh, yesterday evening, I was in the hot seat with a lot of free staters at the Shell, uh, and uh, they watched my recent debate on socialism and critiqued it afterwards. I learned a lot. I hope I taught a few people a few things, but mainly being in the company of so many like-minded people could put anybody in a great mood, and uh, so I'm happy to be with you this morning. That's awesome. You know, I'm in a good mood, too, because first of all, this is, I am just starting to get people to do this in person again, mm-hmm. which is oh. so much more fun. Mm-hmm. I feel like on Zoom, it's okay. Sometimes you can only get someone on Zoom. That's okay. But I like, I have trouble paying attention. I don't know. 
<laughs> I don't know why that is, <laughs> but I'm, I'm so glad to have you here. Yeah. I'm used to seeing you on stage in the Soho form mm -hmm. with like, you know, big crowds mm -hmm. and you're kind of, you know, untouchable or, or oh. whatever. <laughs> but uh, to, to be here like in a living room in Dover, it's uh, it's pretty cool. So I'm glad you came up here. Well, and, you know, uh, I, to I tolerate a lot of uh, interviews on on pod on uh, podcast usually of course through zoom because people are often uh, long distances away from me from california and right. elsewhere but i i feel the same way um being with you uh, on this on a couch facing you and uh, we had at the soul forum to uh, to go through zoom to do our debates over the mo most of the last year and i am indeed suffering from zoom fatigue and yeah looking forward to to in-person debates yeah I, those were so much fun like you have the energy of yeah. the room there is something that yeah. can't be um that that can't be like if, if you attend a a, a a webinar or a debate or whatever and it's just on zoom it almost feels like you know uh there's my my work sitting right there and there there's the the kitchen is in the back needs to be cleaned and uh it, it just it feels like mm. your all your problems are still there sure <laughs> and, and 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 the so forum uh, has had a twofold mission. Yeah. Uh, it's not just to host debates of interest to libertarians, one-on-one -on -one debates of interest to libertarians, but also to have a party, to have a communal experience. Yeah. And of course, on top of that, as you say, it's a theatrical evening and theater belongs in a live audience. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I, you've been doing the Soho Forum for how long? Like five years? I'm, I'm trying started to remember. In, uh, I, I've got to crunch the numbers. Started okay. in September of 2016, which I guess now is going on five years. Yeah. And uh, uh, I, uh, I had the idea because uh, I felt that so many uh, of uh, the debates that were taking place were flawed in their in their concept. I wanted to do one-on-one -on -one debates, one versus one. I felt that uh, that the, that the standard way in which these many debates were being conducted, where it was usually two against two, mm. uh, the model usually doesn't work because the, it's more like a panel. What's well, like a panel, and and of course, just in terms of incentives. Uh, uh, I mean, to begin with, often it was just a politician teamed up with an academician. They didn't speak or confer beforehand, so they're not really coordinated. And uh, and then nobody has to really take responsibility for the argument he's assuming. Too many sound bites because each person gets only six minutes to talk. So I want, and indeed with the one-on-one -on -one debate, it means that if I'm debating you, you are responsible for the argument. Nobody else is going to help you. And so you know you've got to take on the full burden. And so that's, I think, motivates you to do your best. So that's why I wanted to do one-on-one -on -one debates. I'll tell you a secret. I've been doing, well, I've been doing podcast stuff for the last three years, but I've done a lot of public speaking before that tech mm. talks and whatever mm. I've never done a debate oh. even when I was an undergrad at Yale I went mm. to the the political union debates I saw them I've never participated oh. and so I I think it would it's like you know it's got to be a totally different experience like actually mm. being like well no one's gonna help you <laughs> yeah. uh, you know or, yeah. or like here at an interview if if I screw up no. presumably you're gonna help me maybe I don't know <laughs> but well, you know no, it's, no, indeed. no of course it, it, uh, Tom Woods um, uh, are you my mutual friend and yours uh, uh, when he assures people about their stage fright when they deliver a talk as he puts it 
everybody in the audience is pulling for you. So just yeah. recognize that they all want you to do well, so don't be nervous. So I told Tom, yes, everybody in the audience is pulling for you, except if you're doing a debate. And certainly if you're doing <laughs> a sole forum debate. Because half the people in the audience, maybe more than half, have their knives out for you. And not only that, there's somebody on stage opposite you who wants to contradict almost everything you say. So indeed, a debate is a very stressful activity. I've experienced the stress now, I guess, six times. I've done six uh, debates uh, at the Soul Forum. We've, had, we've done more than 50 debates. I should say to you podcast listeners, you should put the Soho Forum debates podcast on your podcast list. The Soho Forum okay. debates we'll podcast. Do. You'll find over 50 debates. That'll also go six- on the show notes page here. <laughs> which we do have. Oh, that's good. Yes, no, not everybody does. <laughs> but uh, we've had over 50 debates, and if you leaf through them, I think you'll find a lot of people you like. Brian, Brian Kaplan, for example, who's uh, certainly a fellow traveling libertarian whom I greatly admire. He's participated in three debates that we've run. I've done six. So I think if you go over the list, you'll like a lot of our debates. But getting back to what you just said, indeed, I've experienced the stress of going into a debate, and on top of that, it's a theatrical evening in that we do Oxford-style voting before and after vote. You vote yes, no, or undecided on the resolution before the debate begins, and then it's recorded on our app, and then uh, you have to vote a second time, yes, no, or undecided on the resolution after the debate ends. So we declare a quote-unquote winner, which gives the, audience, the, the evening a little bit of a, of a conclusion. It's right. obviously not decisive. Uh, you don't necessarily have to agree with the vote, but oftentimes it does. I, I myself have found that for the most part, I tend to agree with the vote uh, about who, who won, who, who, point, who outpointed the other on the debate. Yeah. yeah. I feel like, though, like if I were one of the debaters, yeah. I wouldn't want to think too hard about the, the, the actual vote because that would just, I would think about, let mm. me get my, yeah. my points out and people will think about it in the long run. Well, yes. You know. Although, let me add that, <clears throat> that part of the reason why I've been successful in doing debates, I have to say that what I guess I've done, I know, now I'm losing track, six or seven debates. I lost one of the debates and I've won the others. Uh, the one I lost, uh, we could discuss. I, I think I know why I lost. I was debating Steve Moore, who had just come from the, okay. from the Trump White House, and he was speaking with the authority of Trump. And I think that I, that, that, that there's certain opportunities that I didn't take because I thought I had him on the ropes. What was but, the resolution on that one? It had to do with Trump's uh, tariff policy toward China. And, uh, and, I, and the, fa- and the fact that. of the matter is that it was absurd on every level because, because the truth is that... Oh, wait, I think I was there. <laughs> oh, my God. You voted against me. I, I don't remember who well, I, I, I voted. I gained, I gained a lot of votes uh, from the before and after, but to my yeah. astonishment, Steve Moore gained more. But what happened was this. It, 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 the, the position that Steve Moore was taking defending Trump, he'd just spoken to Trump that morning, and he's speaking with great authority about the president and all the rest of it. The fact of the matter is that I was citing data and um, research that was so quoted in the Wall Street Journal that Trump's, that, that, that even the basic wonkish argument against China was completely absurd. The truth is that we are the major offender in, 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 terms, of, uh, in terms of WTO, World Trade Organization rules. Uh, just on the simply most wonkish level, we are the, the ones who violate what we claim China violates. We misbehave far more. But, so I mix that argument with a more 
libertarian argument pointing out that that the Trump administration had no right to interfere in any case in my right to buy from the Chinese. And that, that if there was some overwhelming argument, fine, but there was no such argument. So I mixed both arguments, and I found that Steve Moore kept giving ground. And in my conclusion, I didn't talk enough about the basic wonkish fact that Steve Moore was representing a totally fraudulent position. And so I think that what happened was that I, that point was lost. And so a lot of people thought, well, he's representing the White House. There must be something to this. So I guess yeah. that's why I lost. But anyway, but that aside, I wanted to mention... There one, could have been some partisan-like feelings, too. Yes, yeah. I don't know. Partisan. Yeah, yeah. There must have been... So, you know, look, we, we attract a, a, a certainly a diverse crowd. Many of the people in the audience might have been Trumpites, Trump supporters, uh, you know, MAGA people, make American, great, make American great again people. So, in any case, I was a little miffed that I lost against Steve Moore <laughs> of, of all course. people. <laughs> but the point... But Nobody as, likes as, to lose. I mean, but if you, if, if you debate, you said six times. Seven I mean, times. I seven times. I mean, I'm six for seven. I'm six you for think seven. you're going to win every time? No, 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 exactly. And as my, my <laughs> Otherwise, son, people will say it's rigged. My, exactly. That's what my stepson JJ said. It's good that you lost once because now everybody knows it's not rigged. But, <laughs> but, but, the, but, but the key I, I should mention, going back to what you said about putting, up, putting forth your best arguments, which is, of course, right. You're not going to focus on whether you win or lose. You're basically there to make the best case you, you can. But bear one thing in mind, that you need to prepare in a particular way. You need to... Th- to familiarize yourself thoroughly with what the opposition has said and written about the mm. topic. There was a debate that, uh, and I'll mention him actually, Ben Powell is a professor at uh, Texas Tech who's written a lot of good stuff about immigration. He debated, now I'm forgetting the name of his opponent, but uh, he he did not read his opponent's book on on, on immigration. He wasn't familiar with with his opponent's arguments and so he made some good arguments but he wasn't in the limited time available able to pinpoint and specify where he thought his opponent went wrong so his arguments were blunted too often and he lost by a couple of points so my point is that it's not just that you need to make your best argument you need as i did in my socialism debate recently with ben burgess Ben Burgess had published a few things, not a book, but at least published articles. I read them thoroughly, and then I subjected myself, it was a little bit painful, to listening to him, especially in his <laughs> debate with David Friedman, where uh, certain facts came out about his real position on on uh, on, on, on uh, socialism, so that I knew precisely what he thought, and I could bring that to light. And so you have to do that particular homework. Subject yourself to what, and I say subject yourself because sometimes it's a little painful to do so, to what your opponent has written and said about the issue going into the debate so that so that it's like being a lawyer. You don't want to be surprised by anything, mm. hopefully not surprised by anything, although, of course, you always will be a little bit surprised, but you yeah. want to minimize that. That's the key to preparation. Familiarize yourself as best you can thoroughly with what your opponent has said about the issue and written about it. Yeah. So you must get like a lot of proposals for, we should have a debate on this, we should have yeah. a debate on that. Yeah. How do you... Yeah. Which proposals end up on the 
proverbial <laughs> cutting room floor? How do you deter? How do you say, oh, you know what? This is going to be a good one. Whatever grabs me in the tuchus. Uh, okay. I, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. No, really. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we, you know, we did, we did a debate on abortion, for example. I thought this woman had a good argument. I had a woman who was against abortion and had Walter Block, who was well. That simplifies things about the Walter abortion. Block's always a fun one. <laughs> to yeah. Have yeah. He's always fun. Yeah. No, I had Walter twice. Walter is the only one who who uh, who I allowed to uh, to to, uh, to to violate the basic principle that we don't allow character assassination in our debates. If somebody mm. if, if you start assassinating the other person's character and it gets a little bit too serious, yeah, I yeah. will step in and say, look, character assassination is not allowed. It's not a logical argument. Your right. your, your opponent may be a, a reprobate and a depraved human being, but we're here to listen to the argument. Is there an issue here with yep. the no, recording? No, no, I'm just looking. <laughs> okay, fine. I'm just I'm I'm just I'm just keeping a, uh, yeah. a, a I'm just keeping a straight eye on yeah. it just to make sure yeah. there's no problem. Walter Block uh, debated uh, Nick Gillespie of Reason on whether to vote for Trump. This was this was uh, I just, was there pr- too. just prior yeah <laughs> yeah just prior to the election of uh, in which Trump won the the, the first the election. first one yeah just prior to November of 2016 and uh, and and uh, I uh, I knew that there was an issue between them because Walter Walter had been accused by the New York Times of being pro-slavery and that and I actually said in the, my initial introduction, that to accuse Walter of being pro-slavery is like uh, like accusing the Pope of being an atheist, and so I thought I'd cleared that dex from that absurd accusation. He Walter had felt that Nick Gillespie, in his own writings, had not absolved Walter init- uh, sufficiently of this accusation. So Walter, being very prickly, and and Walter. Whom, a guy whom I love and admire greatly, I should say, uh, uh, had sued the New York Times. He was really just a little bit nuts on the subject. So in his conclusion and summary, he called uh, uh, Nick a depraved human being. And so I allowed that because it was just kind of funny. But So we've had uh, different problems. In our yeah, that, that was a little bit strange as, a, yeah. as, a, as oh. someone who came to the debate. Yeah. Like, it was an entertaining debate learn something yeah. but then like when they started going after it just personally it's like yeah there's some bad blood here i don't even know what it is uh, and honestly yeah you i t- don't care well that's great that well you took the right attitude and uh and and, and that was walter's failing because because uh you know i mean nick tried to shake hands with walter and walter refused to shake hands with and again i i'm i'm uh you know criticizing walter and hurting holding him up for ridicule I mean, for example, here he is a libertarian who does not believe in the libel laws. The vast majority of us libertarians do not believe in the libel and defamation laws. There are a few who do, I gather, but I think they're absurd. I agree with Murray Rothbard that, you know, you can't own people's minds. Their opinion of you is their opinion of you. And as a practical matter, most of these, um, most of the, uh, of the of the cases that are brought are brought by powerful people against weaker people. You know, it's very rare that, that, some, that you and I are defamed by the New York Times and we can't strike back because we're so obscure. All those stories that really don't, aren't even empirically valid. And, and here Walter is, a rock rib libertarian, suing the New York Times for libel. And then and, and then they then and there's a and then he settles with them for money and the New York Times apparently uh, got Walter to agree not to reveal the nature of their of their settlement so he didn't even get any any intellectual truth out there and Walter's rationale was that the New York Times is backed by the government so he's suing the government why am I knocking Walter Walter is Walter is a great and funny guy and he certainly he's got such a lively mind he's written on such a, a whole range of issues uh, very imaginatively. 
uh, that uh, I think he's a, he's a great guy to have at the Soul Forum, and, I, and I'm very fond of him personally. Yeah. The one that, well, this was maybe before the Soho Forum, yeah. but the, yeah. I think the, when, I, when I, people ask me the first one I went to, yeah. I talk about the um, Hamilton debate yeah. with Tom yeah, I Woods see, yeah, and that's right. My, Michael Malice. The back story is that uh, I... Um, that was a fu- that yeah. was like a fun uh, see, internal debate, and I learned a ton from that oh, one. I feel like I learned. Yeah. You yeah. See, that, see, yeah, I would say that there are, uh, the backstory on that, to, to get to your okay. point about is that I I was um, I was managing uh, uh, the events for a monthly uh, uh, a, a monthly uh, series called Junto, uh, Junto named after Ben Franklin's Junto, uh, financed by a, a philanthropist named Nick Vic Niederhofer, uh, and so I. I wanted to make it uh, host debates. I feel like he's from my hometown of Weston. I'm sorry, what? I feel like Niederhofer is from Weston, where I grew up. I'm not sure. Yeah, well... But yeah, anyway, yeah, go no, ahead. no, I think he, I think you're right. Yeah, he certainly has lived in Connecticut. Okay. Anyway, so I was doing that, and uh, and then usually it was uh, just an interview I did or a speaker. But then uh, I decided to do some debates. Vic didn't like the debates, but but he pre- gave me pretty much of a free hand. And so I had uh, um, Michael Malice debate Tom Woods on the issue of Hamilton being a, uh, a what is it, a, a, a supporter or 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 a hero, a hero of liberty. I yeah. think it was basically that. That now that that's a perfect example, I think, of a debate where uh, where where it's a little bit too semantic to. Uh, to really make up your mind, it depends on when, when the, the words that are used are too open to different kinds of definitions to truly be the kind of objective debate you might want, as in the case of where I debated Steve Moore on Trump's cockamamie uh, actions against China. But the point is that that kind of debate where you might end up agreeing with both sides, where, uh, where, where in a way it's subjective as to where you come out, it still could be fun, it still can be yeah. informative, uh, that kind of debate, where, where the words that are being used are a little bit too uh, squishy for, for you to really make up your mind and really decide who's right and who's wrong. Yeah, but it was but, still fun. Well, yeah. no, I like that the debaters liked each other, yeah, and, oh, the, and, and yeah. the two things I remember were, so this is like 2015, maybe, 2016, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. so... Michael Malice spent half of his intro basically putting up uh, Trump tweets that weren't real Trump tweets, but like they were photoshopped and being like Tom Woods, what a loser! <laughs> you know, on the like, like it was a, uh, it was it was uh, it was tweets that that he wrote as Trump, and then, um, but I feel like. You know, you, you got into more of the nuances towards the end. Well, what did Madison believe yeah. that was different from Hamilton, yeah. and how how were how was Madison different from uh, uh, Adams or or um, or Jefferson? You know, and it's like, yeah. oh, okay, actually, this is really interesting stuff. Yeah. Well, right, right. So to some degree, uh, it's kind of a a, may, a a makeshift kind of conflict, but where uh, where if you're interested in the topic itself, you can learn a few things. It can be entertaining. So indeed, I'm all for that kind of debate and 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 when uh, for example i had um walter 
debate of the abortion issue. There too, uh, it's uh, it's inevitable that liberty, that reasonable people can disagree about the issue, and that to, it's subject to, to to too much interpretation to really be an issue that you can resolve at the end of the day. As in the case of of my socialism versus capitalism, we have to be a lunatic to walk away thinking that socialism is still preferable to capitalism. <laughs> that, that's well, that's most people in in our in in New York. Well, I don't know if most people um, think about socialism versus capitalism, well, but I feel like. Um, Man, I, I just I feel like I'm in the minority being pro-capitalist in 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 in, in 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 tech at least. Well, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's 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 odd. You know, there's there's kind of the um, the corporate liberal capitalist version, like yeah. the, the moderate Democrat that 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 might be in in yeah. in charge of a lot of these companies. That but. I don't know. They haven't really had their uh, opinions hashed out as much as we have, for example. Yeah. Well, I think part of the problem is that uh, that the the socialists are often uh, used to just critiquing and attacking capitalism and never really uh, being forced to come forward to talk about what they propose as an alternative. And you know, as we economists say, you know, the, one of the key questions is always compared to what. You know, mm-hmm. life is, as Thomas Sowell, uh, a genius I greatly admire, the economist Thomas Sowell, said that there really are no solutions in, uh, with respect to social and economic issues. There are only trade-offs. And, of course, if there are trade-offs, that means that one thing can be much better than the other, but it does consist of trade-offs, uh, not true solutions. Because in, in the social world, nothing can truly be solved. There will always be problems in whatever uh, situation you set up. But uh, in the case of the socialists, they, they don't often come forward. Uh, capitalism is put on trial and indicted and, uh, and is compared just vaguely with some sort of notion that we could all love each other and get along fine. And uh, isn't it very nasty that bosses sometimes ball out employees or that people get fired or, or whatever else? That's all very nasty, and therefore capitalism is condemned. But in my debates with socialists, I have them, and you've come. done you've done three. I've done three. So yeah. that's uh, so. Uh, I'm interested in why you keep keep well, coming back to them. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was just a kind of a comedy. It's just one thing led to another. I, what happened initially <laughs> was that uh, was that I found that uh, that that the that the debates that were being conducted. Uh, about capitalism versus socialism were of the sort that I mentioned. Last night, for example, I quoted, uh, when I spoke before the Free Staters about my debate, I quoted Joseph Schumpeter, the great economist, who said, and I'll quote him again, capitalism stands its trial before judges who have the sentence of death in their pockets. They're going to pass it whatever defense they hear. The only success victorious defense can possibly produce is a change in the indictment. And that's, of course, what you're talking about in New York. Just put capitalism on trial and compare it with some sort of vague utopia, and capitalism is going to, is, is going to be put to death. And so what happened was that uh, a number of years ago, when, when was it, 2015, 2016, <clears throat> 
<coughs> the Jacobins, uh, they, as they call themselves, they are a bunch of socialists, they publish Jacobin magazine, uh, challenged a couple of people at Reason to a debate about capitalism versus socialism. It was held in a large hall in New York City with Bhaskar Sankara being one of the debaters and in, uh, on the socialist side and Vivek Chibber, a professor at NYU, a much older guy, being the other debater. And again, it was capitalism was put on trial. There was no, no, they, they defined capitalism in their own cockamimi way, and they didn't define socialism. Uh, no need to define socialism, because after all, we've got capitalism. So let's evaluate capitalism. Again, uh, this was before capitalism's hanging judges. Uh, what do you guys uh, want to put forward as an alternative? How would that work? Uh, uh, do, do, you, do you really imagine that capitalism in its practical manifestation is going to be perfect? Do you, do you think it's going to just produce uh, a heaven on earth? Of course not. But what is the alternative? What do you want uh, to put in its place? They were never asked to do so. All they did, and Vivek Chibber, who's a professor of sociology, he, he just groused that, uh, what he said, he said, he said, you've got, you're forced to work under capitalism. You have no alternative but to work. You know? <laughs> and and I, I wanted the other side to say, Vivek, what, nobody's going to work under socialism? We're all just going to sit home? We'll starve if we don't work. So you, yeah. you're indicting capitalism because you have to. So therefore, I just, I decided, I was, I think I was running the soul form at the time, that I've got to correct this ridiculous trend. I've got to set up a debate in which the, the other side is forced to, to come forward with what they want as an alternative. And so I actually initially invited Vivek Chibber, who's a professor at NYU, who was really close by, to appear. And I actually doubled the honorarium once he initially said no, but he kept saying no. So I, so then I, I, uh, I challenged uh, Basco Sankara. And I had read Basco's article about what he wanted for socialism, how, what, how would socialism uh, transform society. He would basically uh, basically take out of the free market everything, uh, all, all the capital uh, uh, allocations, all the labor allocations would be run by the government. So and, I uh, couldn't be I, I couldn't be an investor in companies if I wanted no, to, no, or I couldn't, uh, yeah. you know, I couldn't um, buy up. Uh, well, apparently he's going to yeah. want us to stop buying up cryptocurrencies, but uh, I don't know how he's going to do that. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you can keep your Kenny Loggins records. Yeah. That was his article. Can you keep your Kenny Loggins records? You can keep your personal effects. You know, they keep, yeah. they keep making this book. Keep you, my toothbrush. Keep your toothbrush and keep <laughs> your... And you, maybe if you can keep your car. But anyway, I think you can keep your car. But anyway, so uh, then... But I, I got, can't Uber. What? I can't. I can't use it for for. I can't well, use it for Uber. Well, Uber Uber will never exist because it would have to yeah. apply for financing from the government, mm. and and you're not going to undermine the taxi cartel. I mean, yeah. you know, you you. I mean, it 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 was all clearly just a ridiculous idea. I got. I I lost my temper with Basco. I think I misbehaved. It was stupid <laughs> of what I did. I and, remember that, Gene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was there. Yeah, and and uh, that was that was a dumb idea for me to lose my temper with because he was clearly so obviously on the ropes. Uh, but I, but when he got up there and he said, "Well, profits," I know. I said, "Learn some economics, Bascar." And uh, so I, I, I misbehaved as a debater. Uh, and uh, but you know, but I beat him uh, in terms of Oscar voting. But then I thought, well, I better make amends for this and, and keep my cool the next time around. So I decided I'll I'll debate a, a graeminence. That was that was uh, uh, Richard Wolf. Did you attend that one? Uh, no, I wasn't oh, at yeah. that one. Well, Richard Wolf. I couldn't go to all of them. <laughs> 
Richard Wolff had written a major book on ca- on capital on socialism okay. and uh, called Democracy. Uh, so I bet you had to read the whole thing. Uh, yeah, I read the whole thing, and so I summarized his book. And then I found that he that when he got up to respond, because he initially he he took the affirmative. I always take the negative. All of the debates I've done, I've taken the negative, and uh, uh, and uh, so he got up. Uh, and made his case, but then I quoted his book, what he wanted. Again, the same old story. And uh, and then uh, he got up and he said that he'd forgotten what he'd written in his book. A book is like a child. So he he didn't exactly put up much of a fight uh, because, uh, again, he was no longer defending his book. So he started to speak vaguely about this and that. And again, I had him on the ropes, but it was a little bit too easy. Although I kept saying to people afterwards when I was interviewed about the debate, I said, look, Richard Wolff is the ultimate. He's the gray eminence of socialism. He's, he's, he's been called by the New York Times as, as a, our, our most important Marxist economist in the country. So if I beat him, isn't that an end to it? Well, I felt maybe not because, because he had been so passive. Uh, and so that's when I decided, well, I'll do a third one against, uh, against uh, what's his name? Ben Burgess. Ben Burgess. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so that was recently. And Ben Burgess at least put up the biggest fight mm-hmm. of all. Uh, but then again, I was able to tease out not just that Ben Burgess uh, wants the government to take over all of finance, 90 Eight percent of finance, anyway. He'll leave. He'll leave crowdfunding to a few bucks to crowdfunding. Yeah, uh, but uh, to, but uh, that was an interesting one because yeah, he, yeah. you kept saying, "Well, yeah. he won't allow yeah. uh, Kickstarter," and he's like, "No, oh, no, yes, I will." That and was, then you make the point. Well, okay, if it's the only one that's allowed, then it becomes. You know, a, a trillion-dollar industry. Yeah. They might start having second course, thoughts about that. Well, but it's hard to. It's a few. The argument is a few steps. It's hard to. Well, thank you. Yeah, exactly. I did make that point, and thanks for remembering that. Indeed, I had just forgotten. He he got up. And he said, "You know, he debated my friend Baskar, and and, and Baskar told him, no, no, he would allow Kickstarter.' And Gene, for, no, so I, that was a mistake on my part. I didn't realize that they would allow this 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 few bucks. But then, as you said, I responded and said, "If that's the only alternative, Kickstarter." It would probably be worth you know five trillion dollars because because we'd all we'd all say well that's the loophole we can invest through Kickstarter but because I could have further added what Ben Burgess revealed when he was debating David Friedman that Ben Burgess not only wants the government to dominate all virtually all the finance ninety eight percent of finance and finance. Um, uh, uh, finance only worker-owned companies, but he wants to outlaw uh, wage and salary employment, and so that. So again, that just really got ridiculous. We discussed it, of course, last night. Uh, I could have made a, uh, perhaps put a finer point on the fact that that we're talking about 140 million people, 90, you know, nearly 90 percent of the workforce that works as wages and salary workers, and many of us would want out. Many of us would want to just sign on as a wage and salary worker, he clearly will have to jail a lot of us. So that really got brutal, uh, what he wants. And so again, uh, this, that's my long-winded answer to your question, which is why, why are many people sympathetic to socialism? Partly because it's difficult to out these people. You have to do some research to ask them, what are you really proposing? And of course, my major argument, as you know, is that is that most of what they're proposing is perfect. I won't belabor it any further, but simply state it. Most of what they're proposing, worker-owned companies and co-ops, 
is perfectly achievable under capitalism if workers really want it. And, and that, I think, is a key point to make. And they, 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 they won't resort to that uh, way of doing things because probably they know in their hearts that workers are not ultimately interested in worker co-ops anyway. Yeah, so I have two follow-ups. Yeah, sure. One is the 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 one I want to get to second, but I yeah. want to put it out there because I just just that we know it's coming is yeah. like okay, you know, a lot of people these days don't debate for socialism directly. They vote for modif they 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 oh, they they, they, they say modified capitalism. Well, and Bernie, I'll, let me uh, get to that in well, a minute. Well, Bernie Sanders likes socialism. Yeah, yeah, but also like. Um, so I, I actually think, going from the beginning, you, you gave that Schumpeter uh, quote, and yeah. I think I may have misinterpreted it yeah. the first time that I heard it. What yeah. was the quote again? Capitalism stands its trial before judges who have the sentence of death in their pockets. Okay. They're going so, to pass it, whatever defense they hear. The gotcha. only success, victorious defense can possibly so those are So he's talking about critics of capitalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I oh, thought, see, really? when I first heard that oh. quote, I thought it was about like, oh, you know, uh, you know a company, uh, like the the, the, the Death is about like a, a company could go out of business if they're if they don't have uh, if they don't uh, treat their customers <laughs> oh, right or something like that. Well, thank but, you. So, I didn't realize. Well, you know, he wrote a book. Well, you know, he wrote capitalism, socialism, and democracy. Yeah. I'm glad I cleared that confusion up. Yeah. No, he's just talking about the critics of capitalism that that they are so unreasonable that indeed they just put as I put it the uh, the other night. Uh, they compare it to perfect. Yeah. They, they, they have a criminal trial against capitalism. You know, you're guilty of all these sins. As I said, I want a civil trial. Uh, who gets custody of the economy, capitalism or socialism? And the socialists have to make their case just as much as the capitalists have to about who gets custody. What do you propose? What do you want? Yeah. Right. I feel like sometimes all human error is attributed to capitalism, whereas it's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's human error. And yeah. the question is, well, which system is going to be more, you're going to more likely have human error over time? Precisely. Yeah. You, you have to, as you indicate, uh, obviously so many of what we, so much of what we call the evils of capitalism are of course simply the evils of, uh, of, of social trends, the evils of human beings, the, the misdeeds of human beings. And so uh, we, 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 human beings are going to misbehave. The, there will be evil in the world. Uh, what's the best system for channeling uh, uh, human uh, wishes and incentives into the best outcomes? And clearly, capitalism is by far the best alternative. So there, there's also been a lot uh, made about like the uh, the role of innovation yeah. in capitalist economy yeah. versus in a socialist economy. Yeah. Well, I know Schumpeter had a lot to say about that. Mm, what, what do you say? Yeah. What do you say about you know a, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are uh, interested in in technological innovation, interested in change. Um, where what do you see as the argument for? Uh, for innovation, whether it's it's better under capitalism or, or what is the role of innovation yeah, yeah. in the economy? Let's talk about well, that. Like, what, well, in, why in, is that important? When it, com when it comes to economic progress, uh, to paraphrase Vince Lombardi about winning being the only thing, uh, innovation is not just one thing. It's the only thing. Innovation is the only thing with respect to achieving economic progress. So it's not and, just and, like, hey... We're running an economy. Maybe every once in a while you come up with an innovation, and that's great, but that's not the main thing. You're saying, no, that's the main thing. It's the only it's the thing. the only thing. Please, it's the only, only now, thing. why is that's it the only thing? Yeah. The, it's the only thing because 
uh, and uh, oddly enough, uh, it's, it was supposed to have been some kind of great intellectual achievement uh, on the part of Nobel Prize winners, uh, like uh, Robert Solo is his name, who was the guy who supposedly taught us how important innovation is. And yet, uh, all you have to do is sit under a tree or on a couch and think very simply about uh, this mental experiment. Suppose it's 1750 in America. Okay. And, uh, and we, we have uh, slow-moving sailing ships and windmills and, uh, and pot-bellied stoves and uh, certain kinds of agriculture that uses the plow, and uses animals. Uh, that's the nature of our technology. And now suppose that there is no innovation. Uh, there's only there's there's all the wonderful supply side economic growth that supply siders talk about plenty of capital investment uh, and uh, all that's great but it's capital investment in the same old same old stuff slow moving sailing ships pl- and uh, uh, ox d- oxen driven yeah. uh, plows so you might get a few more ox a few more yeah. oxen a few more slow <laughs> a few more windmills all of that is great stuff it's going to help uh, but where is it going to get us uh, obviously, nowhere. Uh, we, if, if, if the population increases uh, uh, and, and overwhelms the land, we might start uh, going hungry. And so uh, clearly, the only thing, the only thing, not just the main thing, the only thing that made for economic progress since 1750 is innovation. Mm. Is, of course, obviously, uh, ships that were moved not by, but not by wind uh, and by sail, but uh, by coal and by oil, uh, all of the innovations that have occurred since 1750. I use 1750 because it's, it's the easiest case, but you could freeze innovation at 1850 in America or at 1950. Yeah. And when you think about, or indeed, you know, in 1990, when you think yeah, about all yeah. the things that happened uh, that, that have transformed the world and that have made all the difference in terms of enhanced productivity and economic growth. So, again, all you have to do is subtract innovation from any moment in history, and then it it becomes readily apparent that innovation is not just the main thing, it's the only thing. So, how would it be different if you were debating someone who was saying, well, no, I'm not a socialist. I'm, I'm, I'm capitalist, sure. But, you know, some things are just not good for capitalism. And, you know, maybe like, you know, certain industries like healthcare need to be oh. socialized. And, yeah. you know, there needs to be redistribution. And I think, you know, corporate boards, they have, uh, you know, they represent the shareholders. They're fiduciary to the shareholders. Yeah, that's great. Shareholders are important. But I just think... We should broaden it, you know, more. Uh, 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 we should have representation for the customers and the employees and the board. So, you know, who could be against that? And I feel like that's sort of the argument that you get. And it's kind of a harder one because it feels like um, it, it. It feels like. Uh, it, 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 do you think it would be harder to argue against someone who is arguing for, say, the, the like the mixed economy? Let me put it that way. Like that's what they're. That, that that's what seems to be the mainstream opinion right now. Well. I guess I guess it would be harder, uh, in a way. Um, uh, uh, maybe in a way easier. Uh, uh, it would be a very different argument, certainly, because 
of course, uh, these people uh, like to insist, no, no, we, I believe that you know, there should be uh, you know, private ownership of the means of production. Uh, I'm not a socialist. You, as you say, uh, you certainly can't get them on that issue. You can't get them on, on, on the argument that the iron fist of government should control all of the economy. Right. You're right about that. Uh, but let me... Because they uh, can credibly say, yeah. I'm not going to ban Kickstarter. I believe them. Well, Whereas hope, the socialist, I don't believe. Well, well <laughs> that's true, too. Well, look, all of the, you know all, all of the, the the venture capital and they're not going to ban, ban that either yeah. obviously Ben Burgess would ban all venture capital would ban any investment that's going to invest as I said Steve Jobs would probably shoot his mouth off before the state-run bank and say no I'm going to employ people what the hell do you think I'm the one who works 20 hours a week they all work for me they would yeah. say get the hell out of here you you you're going to go to prison if you try doing that so of course it's absurd or that to think in those terms uh, with respect to what Ben Burgess once. But getting to what you just talked about, uh, to begin with, just let's take the last thing that you mentioned, which is uh, how a, a corporation is run. If it is indeed a corporation, it's not the only alternative. Sure. It gets back to my particular hobby horse that we tend to confuse uh, the uh, capitalism with the manifestations of capitalism that we find at any one time. It is true that the, that the, the conventional corporate model that represents the shareholders tends to be the dominant mode in the economy that we do have, oh, except, of course, the, the small businesses and, and single proprietorships and even co-ops are very common as well. And so even that doesn't capture capitalism specifically. But the point about defining capitalism is to say that all it is, uh, all it consists of is operating in free markets with private property in the means of production being protected by law, the right to, pri to private property in the means of production being protected by law. It says absolutely nothing about how firms are structured, or indeed whether we even have firms. We, we might have just individuals just transacting with each other and subcontracting out different things. Yeah, or and it probably changes based on where what innovations come out. You know, no, certain no. types of firms might make more sense, certain types might, might make less sense. Precisely, so. and, and as I say, even if we do have firms, uh, we, we have many more independent contractors than we did, and on top of that, of course, to, to get back to my hobby horse about what Ben Burgess wants, they could be worker co-ops. So therefore, uh, capitalism says nothing about the structure. So therefore, if to take the easiest case that you just cited, if you want... If you're proposing a corporation that has equal representation of the people from the neighborhood and the workers <laughs> and whoever else, uh, make sure the Jews and the gypsies are also represented on the board, whatever you want, let 100 flowers bloom. If you think that model works best, put together a company that works that way and it will be a showcase. It will inspire others to do the same damn thing. Capitalism is a, is a series of trials and errors, unlike socialism. If, if it fails, then and it'll be maybe a worthy experiment to show that it wasn't such a good idea. If it succeeds, then maybe it was. And so clearly, who I, I have no direct opinion about that, except, of course, 
I do have the subjective view, subject to experiment, that that it's probably best that uh, th that we have the kind of management situation that we do have, where the managers in charge are, usually have a fair amount of stock in the corporation, and so they have a, a very direct stake in its success. Uh, yeah. uh, John well, I, Mackey, I have stock as an employee. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, so you have so. you have. Some stake in, in the success, but those who own the corporation have often a more direct stake. We right. could get into arguments about the supposed separation between ownership and control, which is a right. very old argument. That's, that, that's so I have a little ownership. I have zero control other than if I'm working there, I have access to management. I could talk to them. You do, and, and, and aside from that, you have, hopefully, uh, what most workers uh, do have, which is the right to quit. The right oh, yeah. to take your business <laughs> out. If they don't please you, if they don't pay you enough, if they abuse you, then you might start looking for another job. And uh, and if you run an organization, you're often fearful of losing some of your best people. So you want to stay on their good side. That people people who work for a company uh, often don't recognize that they are being accommodated in certain ways because they don't want you to quit. They don't want you to leave. And so that so but but getting back to the point, uh, and I want to take uh, you you set up a frame what you said medical care i forgot what else uh, did you just the usual suspects well, you know well yeah. uh you know well, yeah. the libertarian answer is always like the, the you know people say the roads oh. need to be socialized there's so many road who'll socialists the roads? out there <laughs> well the old, it's, it's practically a joke now who'll build yeah. the roads yeah well obviously uh, well i mean because we could go over a lot of that uh, i was i, I mentioned it doesn't uh, sound that scary having government run the roads i mean but uh, i huh? I mean, I think it would be better if they didn't, but, you know, that's a whole... Well, well, well no, 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 indeed. I, I mean, you remind me of my argument that, that I would rather, you know, I would rather... We have the government basically running the money supply. Uh, as I jokingly yeah, put, I, 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 if it was a forced trade-off, I'd rather that they dominate the shoe industry. Stay away from money, but I'll give you shoes. Yeah. Because the shoes will pinch, but we can at least we can make sandals in our basements. We, but... Uh, they would really ruin the shoe industry, but at least they won't. It's, they won't do that much harm to our feet. We could protect our feet from them. We it's much better yet, more, give them hats. What's that? Better yet, give them hats. Yeah, yeah hats. My feet can get a little. Yeah. <laughs> <And if> you, <laughs> they could hurt if I don't have good if shoes. You give, if they give them the roads, they'll mismanage the roads in all kinds of obvious ways. There'll be potholes uh, in the roads, uh, and uh, there'll be roads to nowhere. There'll be all. There'll be there'll be crazy ways they price the roads, which create needless traffic. Jams, but uh, better that we give them the roads than, than that we give them the money supply because that's mm. where they really do harm. But uh, the point then is that well, you know, you, you, I thought you wanted me to address some of these arguments. Uh, yeah. I addressed one of them, of course, having to do with this idea of experimenting with how we manage corporations. And again, it's so little understood, apparently, that 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 we the mode of capitalism we have now is not necessarily the only way to go. If there's a better way to go, trial and error and innovation and good ideas will find the way for us because if those people do well, others will imitate them. And so capitalism is a, is a far more flexible arrangement than people imagine. And I guess part of the inflexibility, of course, has to do with the crony capitalism system where the corporations that succeed often tend to dominate government and, and achieve monopoly positions for themselves. And so that tends to produce stagnation and stasis. But capitalism is a constantly dynamic system that experiments with, 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 with new ideas all the time. 
Yeah. Right. So let me see if I, I get this. So yeah, yeah. if you're talking about there's so many modes of corporate governance we can do, that is a form of innovation on yeah, oh, the market. Oh, yes. And, and oh, yeah. just like corporate culture is, yeah. it's a form of like, it's an intangible that companies have and you can experiment and do better. But when you have a law, let's say the federal government oh, yeah, passes yeah, yeah, a law, yeah, yeah, all yeah. the boards have to have this, this, these types of people on it. Uh, yeah. uh, that's obviously more of a problem. Absolutely, uh, and then of course you, you you remind me of the of the uh, of the age old argument about the uh, government giving the corporate structure the right to limited liability. We have the government in certain cases possibly mandating certain structures that corporations have to adhere to. And uh, as you indicated, the idea of mandating it seems like a bad idea on its face. It's intrusive, and it may not allow for creativity and experimentation. Uh, let, let, the, let the corporations structure themselves the way they want to, and if, she, if, if investors like it, the investors will invest in it. If they don't like it, the corporation won't get any money. If investors like it and it fails, it will become a showcase for failure. And so experimentation is, is important to innovation. As you, innovators like you know, uh, success is the product of a thousand failures. And so we have to keep failing. We have to keep going bankrupt in order to achieve uh, a, the, the, uh, an understanding of, what, of how success works. Uh, so all of that is true. But now we have... Uh, now. We have had for a long time something that Ben Burgess, the socialist, thinks is terrible and some libertarians often, often dislike as well, which is that the, the government allows a corporation to set up a, a legal system of limited liability. And of course, it's a good idea because, and it has indeed led to constructive investment because if you and I are going to invest in a company, we don't want to have unlimited liability for everything that it does uh, because uh, clearly we don't. Clearly, uh, a corporation will have difficult, some difficulty attracting investors if they are taking on unlimited liability as part owners in the company. Uh, and uh, so this has been criticized. I know that Rothbard has actually just specifically defended it, uh, but I, in a way, I'm not even sure I, I, I totally like his argument. If you did not, you don't really need my clincher about this, is that you don't really need the, the government to dictate this. Uh, you can get private agreements that, that, uh, that say that if I, if I invest in the company, the company accepts, uh, gives me limited liability. That right. could be a private agreement. There could be insurance companies that, or even if you don't have that, you could have an, in, uh, companies that could be in the business of taking on uh, the liability that, that, that the investor doesn't take on. There are all kinds of arrangements for that. I mentioned that because, of course, it's been it's a, a big hot argument. It's been a hot yeah. button with respect to corporations. Uh, and we can't deny that limited liability is a good idea. The only thing that doesn't seem to be well understood is that there's so many different ways for the market to have worked out a system of limited liability. It doesn't just have to be the, the government bestowing it upon us. So I just wanted to resolve that particular issue. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, thank you very much yeah. for this interview today. Gene, I just want to end. Are there any, any last thoughts on what we talked about today? And also, where can people find out more about you and about the Soho Forum? 
Well, there are so many last thoughts, so many things I haven't been able to say today. <laughs> I, to I would have guessed. <laughs> we could go on. I, I would be shocked if you said, oh, I'm done now. I don't really. <laughs> but that's I, about it. I'll have to censor myself to, <laughs> because, because I'm, I don't even know if your listeners have lasted this long with me. I hope they have. Uh, I, I began by saying that if you are a... Uh, a, a podcast listener, uh, and of course, the many thousands, the many tens of thousands of people who listen to your podcast uh, clearly are, uh, then you want to put on your list uh, the Soho Forum debates, the Soho Forum debates podcast. There you'll find more than 50 debates, and you've sat through reminiscences on my part and Max's about many of these debates. You can listen to them all. They're all accessible. I've done several others that uh, we didn't mention. There are several other really good ones that I recommend, uh, but no time to do that. But leaf through that, leaf through the list of about over 50 debates at the Soho Forum debates podcast. Also, I want to announce that we are returning to New York City. We've been driven out. Uh, We've had Zoom debates that have many many of them have been pretty good, but I'm suffering from Zoom fatigue. Uh, I'm not going to do another Zoom debate for a while. Maybe not for hopefully maybe not not ever. (laughs) Well, look, occasionally occasionally have to look if you can get you know some guy in Moscow to debate some guy in New York and he can't get you know maybe we'll do a Zoom debate someday. We'll do a Zoom debate again, but only someday. We are going to return to New York City because hopefully the city's opened up. That's where I live. named after Soho, south of Houston, where Max used to live. And um, uh, we, are, uh, we have a definite uh, planned for October 4th. That will be uh, the neoconservative William Crystal debating the great Scott Horton on foreign policy. Oh, shoot. I think I bought a ticket for that like years ago. Well, then, <laughs> well, what do you mean shoot? If you have a ticket, you can come. Yeah. If you want to return to New York. You used to live there, Max. You could probably yeah, find your way to New York. Yeah, I can go there. Probably, we'll give you the address. You could probably find the venue. Uh, we, we haven't decided on a venue yet. We actually, we didn't even advertise. We just announced it, and we very quickly sold nearly 800 tickets to it. Wow. And so we're looking for a pretty large hall in Manhattan to have it. I had to coax Bill Crystal, who's been very nice, and I want to tell everybody, you might not like Bill Crystal for what he stands for, because he is a neocon, almost the father of neocon foreign policy, but he is, he's been very cooperative and very nice guy, and please do not assassinate his character on Twitter, uh, uh, because uh, I don't want to alienate him, I want him to show up for a nice... Yeah. A polite debate on foreign My policy. audience is not going to do that. They're uh, not, they're not going to assassinate character on, on Twitter. Uh, well, well been, I don't know who's listening, but... There have been, <laughs> been people who have been saying nasty things about it. Please don't. Okay, that's October 4th in New York City. Max, I hope to see you there. I hope to see all your many thousands of listeners there on October 4th yeah, in New York City. And now I can shut up for, for, uh, for, for good, Max. Thanks for having <laughs> me. Gene, thank you so much for coming on the sure, show. Sure, all right. Wasn't that a lot of fun? So it was funny that he mentioned that foreign policy debate with um, with, uh, uh, with Bill Crystal and, and Scott Horton. There, I, I that's one of those ones where I kind of want <laughs> I, I kind of have issues with uh, the way both of those uh, people uh, uh, debate, and so I, I'm hoping they uh, they call each other out. Um, so yeah. This uh, will uh, have all the relevant stuff up on the show notes upcoming uh, in in the next few weeks. I'm finally, 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 I think, going to be talking about 
design. And I'm going to talk to, I'd like to talk to, uh, I'm not going to say who it is because I haven't done the, the interview yet, but uh, there, there, there's someone in my, in my social media who's written a really great book on, on design, all types of design. Obviously, design is something that we have to do as engineers as well, or at least we have to interface with designers. And so that is going to be uh, a great one, perhaps uh, particularly if you're thinking about stuff uh, uh, more along the lines of like upgrading your professional skills or just thinking about you know, how to get things done um, or how the world works. Really interesting stuff. So stay tuned for that. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at Maximum.Locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at LocalMaxRadio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to LocalMaxRadio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.